Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and this episode is brought to you by Masterclass Air Med Care and Nebbia by Mo and Spa Shower. We'll talk about those in a moment. Joining me this week on another video episode, first of all, is my friend across the pond, William Gallagher, dressed up in a suit. How you doing, William? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking serious. That's what I am. I want people to believe me when I, to, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's all I've got. <laughs> no, right, yeah, your closet is just suits. You have no t-shirts, no shorts. I to, that totally makes sense. That's on brand. <laughs> like a cartoon character that just wears one outfit. That's all you got, nothing else. Yeah, that's exactly right. This isn't going the way I thought. Okay. <laughs> Netvoice is, of course, Neil Hughes, also joining us. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Hey, guys. How's it going? First of all, I just wanted to point people to a couple things. First of all, I had an interview with Matthew Casanelli earlier this week. He used to work on the Workflow app team. If you remember the Workflow app back in the day, then he actually moved to work with Apple once Apple acquired them. And now he's independent, all teaching about shortcuts and all that fun stuff. It was a really fun interview nerded out on shortcuts and iPad a little bit. So check out that interview. It's on YouTube and in the podcast. It's the last episode in your feed. So check that out. And also I had a video talking about wallpaper shortcuts and I kind of inspired by the interview with Matthew Castanelli. But I did this shortcut where it automatically pulls high-res images from Unsplash and it can change your wallpaper automatically as often as you want. So it's a fun shortcut. So I'll put a link in show notes to the interview, the shortcut, and all that you kind of fun. Did either of you uh, try that shortcut? I was just curious. I did not. No, f- f- for reasons. No, thanks, thanks a lot. No, thanks for the support, guys. I have a black wallpaper. My, my, my wallpaper is Well, black. now this is the show. So you have a black, like, what about your lock screen? You have a picture on there? I have a picture on my lock screen. The background is just black. I don't have any. Okay, okay. I get it. I get it. William, what do you, what do you have there? I know you, you, you still have that glass picture that you're using? Yeah, a really, really close-up shot of glass from a, a, a glass factory's offcuts. Found it in a bin one day when I was touring a factory, and it's just mesmerizingly there gorgeous, go. but in incredibly low resolution because I took it on, I think, an iPhone 4 or something like that. Vintage camera, yeah. Startling that uh, Neil does not have a wallpaper. But I know, you know, I used to do that, especially with the OLED iPhone screen. Yeah, technically it should save you some battery life. I don't know what fraction of a percentage it actually saves, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, with all the location pinging, probably not much, yeah, right. but that's cool, you know, <laughs> yeah, very good. All right, well, first of all, I want to touch on some iPhone 13 dummy models that came out. And later in the show, we're going to discuss whether talking about these rumors are even relevant. I don't know if you guys saw my <clears throat> tweet about that stuff. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. I might have, I may have found my first Twitter beef ever. I've never had a Twitter beef, so I was I was happy to finally have one. I had one with I had one with a YouTuber a few weeks ago as well, but I didn't I didn't dive in. I, oh, I, nice, I, nice! I I just decided, you know what? No. Okay, okay. Well, well, yeah. we'll discuss that because I, I I missed that too. So we'll discuss our Twitter beefs later. I know William has Twitter beefs with everyone. He's he's really the uh, beef. Um, yes. Where where is yes, the beef? Yeah. William's got it. <laughs> Uh, strong arguments about writing, but nothing else. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. There you go. You got strong feelings about that. But anyway, the iPhone 13, there were some dummy models that were released. Not much information revealed about the new iPhone models. There's been some rumors that maybe it won't be called the 13. Maybe we'll actually get an S cycle, a 12S, because the physical redesign's not changing much except for the camera layout. And you'll see a, a picture in YouTube if you're watching there, and I'll put a picture in the show notes, of course. But the new iPhone models, it is... Again, basically the same square edge design. Some of the cameras are moved around a little bit, more of a diagonal checkerboard shape on the 
12 and 12 mini, but also might actually still have a 12 mini the next iteration. That was kind of up in the air too, whether or not there'll be a 12 mini because of the low sales this cycle. So interesting. We'll put a picture of the dummy models in show notes. And then Quo also had that next year in 2022, we would get an under the screen fingerprint sensor and possibly lower prices on the iPhone. Again, this is Ming-Chi Kuo. He has a fairly good track record, but you know, it's interesting. I think ProMotion is probably the big feature that would be coming this year in the 13 or 12S or whatever comes. What do you guys think? You think we'll see ProMotion? You think we'll see any other big features this year? Neil, what do you think? Supposedly, the the uh, iPhone 12 that's out now, uh, the, at least the Pro models, the display is capable of 120 hertz. They just couldn't get the battery to work. So the rumor is this year's phone might be a little thicker. That'll have more battery consideration for it and allow for it. Uh, I'm excited for it. You know, I think it was a game changer when it came out on the iPad Pro. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, yeah, I'm really excited to have it. Yeah, for sure. William, what about you? I think it's uh, a must-have thing once you've seen it in the flesh. And I never have. So I'm, I'm quite all right with it, without it. Oh, because I did not send you my old yeah. iPad Pro? Is that why <laughs> I was not going to bring that up. It hurts. Ah. But I was... I also think it will be the 13. I mean, I actually wondered whether iOS 13 would be somehow skipped uh, because you have know, plenty of people dislike the number, um, but they didn't. So I don't think they will with this mm. either. I think the S days are long gone. When was the last S? Tennis. Yeah, right. was not that long S. ago then, really. <laughs> okay, I was thinking six. Well, I mean, we had we had the eleven and the twelve, and yeah, the last time there was no seven S. They went yeah. from seven to eight. Well, they, they, the the eight actually didn't come out until like a year later too, because it was the budget phone. Right, right, right. They came out same time as the ten. It was like the eight, eight plus. And then the 10, then they went to 10S. Whoever the branding experts who came up with the name XS yes. for a phone, by the I way, mean, it was not the It was the same with Mac OS. It was Max OS X, yeah. but everyone, you know, yeah. it's supposed to be 10. People said X. But this, you know, there's been some talk in the past about, you know, Samsung and some of these other phone manufacturers. They go with the whole number every year because there are some markets where it's important to distinguish kind of that this is the new phone that this number is like the new one. And maybe that's why Apple's doing it. Who knows? You know, the, the S cycles were always not lesser. I mean, there were good features that came out during those cycles, but it was not the hardware redesigns. And people might not know that you had a 10S over a 10 because they were very similar or extremely, you know, basically the same external thing. So yeah, maybe I'll stick with whole numbers, kind of, you know, let people know that this is the new model. I, I, I just want to know when we're going to get a promotion on the Mac. Mm, maybe with that mini LED screen someday that will come with <laughs> William's 14-inch macbook that he's hoping for and an apple monitor that, that it's capable of as well that's true that is true well okay i did want to touch on this other news facebook launched and i put this in the biggest air quotes as possible facebook launched podcasting in their app and so again as the podcast wars have begun you know, i did a tweet the other day begun the podcast wars have you th i thought it was a long time ago because podcast has been increasingly popular but it seems like recently spotify is really pressing hard on exclusives you have apps like Clubhouse, and now Facebook getting in the game, which if Facebook does anything, it's going to be a big deal because they have over a billion users. You know, So if Facebook puts anything in their app, there's a ton of people that have access to it already. So they announced that podcasting was coming, supposedly launched live this past Tuesday, which would have been June 22nd. I don't know about you guys. First of all, I did not have the Facebook app on my phone for the last, I don't know, however many years. I deleted it off my phone. I didn't want to scroll. It did didn't really want to use it. So I haven't had the app on my phone for a long time. But because of this feature and because I do podcasting, felt like I needed to have some kind of knowledge, some experience to know, like, is this actually working? How is it in the Facebook thing? Are people going to engage with a the podcast there? So I downloaded the app bemoaning the fact that I had to install it once again. 
But honestly, I have not seen any podcasts that you could listen to yet in the Facebook app. I followed some of the people from Buzzsprout and they reported the same thing. Even though Facebook said they launched, there's not really places to go to listen to podcasts. It doesn't look like posts are live. I did see just this morning that live audio rooms are available. So when I opened the Facebook app, it showed on the top, like start a new room. And then it had a bunch of people's profile icons next to that. And it was, I tapped someone's face just to see like what it meant. Does that mean they're broadcasting live? Who knows? And this pop-up start is like, start a live video chat with this person. I was like, no, please. no, don't do that. <laughs> please don't Facebook. That's a terrible thing. I don't want to see you sitting on the toilet. <laughs> please just don't right now. Just... Yeah. Like I just don't want that option to be so easily accessible. But anyway, so apparently live rooms are there, but I have not seen anything else. Have either of you seen, I don't know if you guys have the Facebook app, but have seen anything podcasting wise from Facebook? You can't tear me away from it. I've been on it from the, no, <laughs> I sure. forgot it had launched. And actually I keep meaning to take the app off my iPhone. I've taken it off my iPad uh, for it, but yeah, I must do that. But mm. yeah, I'm not drawn to this. Let's not forget that Facebook has a horrible track record in this department where they convinced people years ago to migrate mm. their video from YouTube, Facebook, where they claimed that they were going to do so much better and then falsely inflated the numbers of the videos to make them think that they were doing well. And they literally put companies out of business because they had invested so much money in their video for Facebook, which was a failure. Because it's behind a walled garden, even though they have a billion users, it's a pain when somebody wants to click on something and you can't get it or it doesn't open the app right or whatever. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I, they're, they're doomed to fail and it makes me happy. Good. I don't, it, it's not going to go anywhere. This won't affect podcasts. The walled gardens of other platforms where they have exclusive content will do fine. But, you know, this is like this is like uh, yeah. Microsoft having a side venture where they paid the top streamer to come over for six months and then it just blew up and they gave up because they had better things to do. Facebook is going to go back to <laughs> collecting your data. That's where they make yeah. their money. They're not, they don't care that much about you listening to a podcast. Go back to? Well, I'm sure they're no, they still haven't doing stopped, it. <laughs> they'll double down. You know, I did the editorial last week about them wanting to get it on your wrist, basically. Basically implying that if anybody were to wear a Facebook watch, right. they deserve to get doxxed because you just have, like, come on. Seriously, you want to you want to share your health data with this company? You want to let them know what podcasts you listen to? Like, yeah. I, there's no appeal there. They, they could pay for the biggest podcaster in the world, and I don't think it would make a difference. So I will say, with Facebook video views, I work at a place where I have to pull those and report, like, how many views any video or stream has gotten. And when you go into the analytics, it's so funny. Facebook breaks out three second views, which can, so when you see a video like in your newsfeed on Facebook and it says 2000 views, that's basically 2003 second views. And then if you go in the back analytics, if you're a page owner, it tells you how many views were at least one minute. And the difference between three second views and one minute views are huge. I mean, one minute views are a small, small percentage of the total views of the three second views. And it's like the views you see on those videos are not equivalent to how many people are actually watching this thing. Because if someone's just scrolling and the video plays for three seconds, they may not have even unmuted the video. It mar marks as a three second view. And that's what you see in the stat. I'm not exactly sure what YouTube uses as the minimum viewing time to actually count as, as a view. But I know with Facebook, like it's once you actually see the minute data, like how many people actually watch for a minute or more, it is a small, small percentage, live streams or on-demand videos. So it is grossly exaggerated when you see those numbers in the newsfeed. So anyway, Facebook, man, let us know, listeners, if you've seen any podcast that you can actually listen to in the Facebook app, because again, I have not seen any. Supposedly they are launched and live and Facebook had some shows that they said were available. So let us know. I'd love to see that, you know, post a screenshot or something of those shows. Curious if that's live.
Now, this next report, this came from ITV, and it was a report that Amazon is destroying products in their warehouses. Could be MacBooks, AirPods, headphones, and lots of other products. But they are supposedly just throwing these away. They are donating a very, very small percentage of leftover products, but a lot of stuff is just going in the trash. And the reason for this, and the report goes on to explain, is that many vendors, if you sell products on Amazon, you can choose to store your product at an Amazon warehouse. This way, when someone buys the product, it can ship quickly directly from Amazon. So it is a benefit to some product vendors or sellers so they don't have to pay for storage or keep it at their house if they have a small business or whatever. They pay Amazon to store it. Well, if the product remains unsold and Amazon has been charging them for storage, they'll charge the vendor for storage fees, it might just become cheaper to chuck the products for both the seller and for Amazon. So rather than taking up space in their warehouse or donating, they've been like destroying some warehouses as much as 130000 items a week can be seen in boxes marked as destroyed. So I thought it was a pretty wild story. I had no idea this was happening. Amazon made a statement saying they are working towards, you know, not destroying products and trying to get as many to donate as possible. But I don't know. I just, I just thought this was crazy. William, what do you think about this? Well, I want to say I'm not sure how well known ITV is in the States. It's not as big as the BBC, although the US, right. a lot of times people mistake them over the programs. I, I have friends in ITV news. Uh, I'm, you know, there are some UK news sources that I might question this story from, but from ITV, I believe it. And I, you can kind of understand the logic, but it is shocking, isn't it? And Amazon basically saying, yeah, yeah. We'll try not to do it again. It doesn't really feel like it's moved us forward. <laughs> Which stuff is being destroyed every week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Amazon is a company that has already destroyed entire industries and people's lives. The fact that they would destroy some products doesn't surprise me at all. Like, wow. that's probably very low on their list of concerns. They're just counting the money and that's all they care about. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Amazon, Amazon is about as ruthless as they're going to get. So the fact that they would, you know, throw products away if it's going to make them money, it, it Nothing shocked me there at all. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll put the article in show notes. You can read more about that, listeners. Yeah, definitely a wild story. Well, we're going to take a break and actually thank our first sponsor, which is Masterclass. You've heard me talk about Masterclass before. Masterclass is an online learning platform where you can learn from some of the best in the business, whether it's sports or cooking or science or anything. Some of my favorite classes are Music Composition for Film by Hans Zimmer. Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss, author, he has a course on Masterclass about negotiation, and you can learn about scientific thinking from Neil deGrasse Tyson or space from Chris Hatfield. He was on the International Space Station for a while. But what I love about Masterclass is it's available anywhere. You can get it on your iPhone, iPad, you can just watch it in the web or on your Apple TV. And every course has lessons that are just about 15 to 12 minutes long around that. So you can watch an episode maybe on your lunch break or you can binge watch them at night. You can learn how to cook again from Dave Ramsey. It's really cool. I also like doing it on my phone because you can flip it into audio only mode and then listen to it like it's a podcast. But I will say you'll want to watch it because the cinematography is beautiful. One of my favorites is Hans Zimmer when he's teaching about music composition for film. You can see the studio and a soundboard and he's talking about melodies and themes for characters and movies so it's just a ton of fun i highly recommend you check it out you can also get downloadable materials and so if you do one of those cooking courses you can get downloadable recipes and it's really like almost a high quality cookbook when you get it from masterclass so I encourage you to check out over 100 plus lessons are available and courses from masterclass so get unlimited access to every masterclass and as an apple insider listener 
you get 15% off an annual membership. And when you do the annual, you can watch all the different courses available on Masterclass. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. So I want to get to this white paper that Apple published. And as the antitrust stuff has been big in the news, the court case with Epic Games is still waiting for a judgment and a ruling in that. They actually released this white paper specifically about sideloading. And I don't think I've ever heard Apple talk about sideloading so much than in this report. And this also kind of comes in conjunction with a report that Tim Cook actually called Nancy Pelosi to talk about some of these legislations and trying to convince her that these legislations is going to hinder innovation, hinder Apple's ability to you know, do what they do basically in the app store and all that. So I just want to read some of the sections from this white paper and then we can comment on it. I'm going to show, I'll put a picture of it in the chapter art and I'll also try to show a picture of it here in on YouTube and it's called Building a Trusted Ecosystem for Millions of Apps, the Important Role of App Store Protections and they put the date. And so first of all, I kind of find it funny that they did a PDF. I mean, I guess this is kind of how these legal things go, but the fact that it's a PDF link from Apple's website and not like a legit web page that you can search and the text is crawlable, uh, it's a little weird. And it's also kind of hard to read on a phone, which I feel like is the most ironic part. But did either of you take a look at this or, or browse through this PDF at all? Yeah, this is the second one they've done. They did the Data Privacy Day in the same format, the same style of illustrations, the same PDF format. And actually, I think they're both really well written. They're very convincing of Apple's position. Uh, yeah. But then I was reading it on a giant Mac screen rather than squeezing it through a phone. <laughs> well, I didn't know it was a PDF until I followed the link from Apple Insider. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is a PDF document. You know, it's not, it's not a, not a link, but it starts, it starts off with this quote from Steve Jobs, actually from 2007. And this was at the launch of the app store. And he says, we're trying to do two diametrically opposed things at once provide an advanced and open platform to developers while at the same time protect iPhone users from viruses, malware, privacy attacks. This is no easy task. And I thought this was interesting. Again, this is at the very start of the App Store, Apple announcing to developers that they'll be able to submit and publish apps and all that. And it's kind of the same conversation that Steve Jobs was talking about in 2007. It's the same conversation today. It's these two polar, you would think opposites, but they're trying to have a protected, privacy-conscious platform on this end, but also allow developers to build great things for their platform. And again, this is Apple's white paper. So of course, they're going to be putting it forward in a, you know, the most altruistic terms of, you know, Apple's motivation as possible. But interesting start, you know, they, they got Steve Jobs there. And so the first quote, I thought we could interact with, and this is what they say. And, and throughout this white paper, they're kind of this like role play thing where they say, let's follow this man and his daughter throughout a day and see how privacy and the app store and everything protects them from malware and phishing and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, hmm, okay, interesting illustration. But so the first thing that I want to point out, this is a quote from the white paper. It says, quote, additionally, even users who prefer to only download apps from the app store could be forced to download an app they need for work or for school from third-party stores if it is not made available on the app store or they could be tricked into downloading apps from third-party app stores masquerading as the app store. So again, one more time, just to put into context, the conversation is about should Apple allow developers, companies to sell and distribute apps where users can download them outside of the app store, like just from the web, which is how the Mac works and how other computers work. Android can do this too. 
And so Apple is arguing in this quote that if this was forced through legislation, if the United States government and other governments forced Apple to allow for sideloading the installation of apps outside the App Store, it could mean that someone who doesn't want to, maybe you're a user and you really only want to download things from the App Store, that maybe for school or for your work, those organizations might force you to download an app outside the App Store because it's easier than going through Apple's red tape of enterprise or they don't know how to you know, do the kind of enterprise certificates that Apple makes available for big businesses to distribute apps directly to employers outside of the App Store and all that. And this, I don't know, got me starting to think like, hmm, that is something that could be possible. You know, if you want to use your iPhone or your iPad at your workplace, there's going to be applications that they require you to use. Right now, it either has to be in the App Store or it has to be through Apple's like enterprise, you know, filtering all the red tape for apps. And so I thought that was an interesting angle and could be, you know, a possible downside to sideloading in the future. Absolutely. So, I mean, as somebody who used to uh, jailbreak my iPhone back in the day, when the first iPhone came out in 2007, right. I had it on T-Mobile, which you could do. And I had to jailbreak it in order to do that. And so it was kind of fun because there was obviously no app store at the time. So I remember uh, prior to that, the original Microsoft Surface, the giant table that they had, you know, like one of the demos yes, they did that wowed yes. people was multi-touch where they had a bunch of photos on there and they were resizing them. And so one of the apps that they had on there that, again, this is an unsanctioned app, was just you would put photos on there and you could resize them and move them around. People would play with my phone and be like, wow, it was like a mind-blowing thing. Now you look at it, it's like, this is stupid. But um, And then they had a they had a labyrinth <laughs> game on there where you it was like a marble and it would use the accelerometer and you could, yeah, yeah. You could tilt and have the marble go and other stuff. So I, I'm not I'm not somebody who's opposed to, to you know, offering third-party app jailbreaking and all that, but. There are two things that have happened over the last 13 years since I jailbroke my first iPhone. First of all, Apple has opened up the APIs, I would say more so to a degree on the iPhone, less so on the iPad for obvious reasons that we think that you know, the training wheels should be taken off iPad OS. But yeah. there are very few reasons to install outside apps unless you're looking to do something illegal or nefarious, stealing apps or something like that. Most of the incentives here are for developers to bypass Apple's cut or to offer the type of content Apple wouldn't allow, like pornography, for example. But beyond that, I don't know that there's a lot of reasons to install third-party outside apps. You know, the, the only example that I can think of right now that I would want would be uh, Microsoft's uh, cloud-based gaming service, which you can do in a browser. Right. So there's a workaround for it. I did sideload, because you can, you can officially sideload an app with a developer account um, that's not sanctioned by Apple. Uh, and there's one for the Apple TV called Provenance, which allows you, again, legal gray area, it's an emulator. It allows you to play old video games, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, all that. And so I loaded a bunch of ROMs onto my Apple TV and played, but with subsequent updates to tvOS, they've made it that if you have a free developer account, you have to recertify and reinstall every week. And if you have a paid developer account, you have to do it every year. Wow. So there are some rather onerous restrictions that I think are uh, inappropriate. I think Apple did a good job with this paper, and I think that they advocated for their position well, but I also think that they're not telling the full story, naturally, yeah. because they have a vested interest to do so. So right. it's more complicated than Apple makes it sound, and, and I think that 
you know, for the vast majority of people that are doing this, you have to think about the Mac, right? Now, if you get a new Mac, you can only install apps from the Mac App Store unless you dive into the settings and disable it. Right. And I would imagine for the vast majority of Mac users, not power users, they don't know how to do that and they don't really care. They probably just use the built-in apps. Right. You know, it was such an eye-opener for me years ago. I was in the Apple Store in Williamsburg and they had just launched the 12-inch MacBook. And I was watching all the product videos of how they were using the 12-inch MacBook. And I noticed that in all of the demonstrations, they were doing all of the apps full screen. They were using the new full screen mode of whatever was the new Mac OS at the time. Right. And they were showing users swiping in between the apps with four fingers with uh, the trackpad. Yes. And it dawned on me, this is the exact same way that you use apps on an iPad. You have a full screen app, one app, that's it. You take four fingers and you swipe back and forth. And so what Apple's been emphasizing is this is the way most people use their computers and this is the way that makes sense. And so, you know, I would be curious to see how many people that own a Mac, what percentage are going in, allowing outside apps to be installed and are actually going and doing these things that could be dangerous or illegal or whatever. Yeah. My guess is it's probably pretty low. And if they allowed something like that, at the very least on the iPad, but also on the iPhone, I don't think that it would change things as much as the doom and gloom that Apple is portraying. But I understand why Apple wants to be the way that it is. You know, they don't want to go down that road. So, William, I'm going to read a quote and then I'd love to get your thoughts on this, too. Because as Neil was talking about the Mac, Apple mentioned a Mac just a couple times because this white paper is really focusing on iOS and iPhone because that's where the lockdown on sideloading is. Apple said in the white paper, quote, allowing sideloading would spur a flood of new investment into attacks on iPhone well beyond the scale of attacks on other platforms like Mac. What they're talking about is the Mac install base is nowhere near the amount of iPhone users around the world. And so if sideloading was allowed on the iPhone, it would motivate hackers and people with nefarious intentions to target the iPhone because it is a massive, massive market. Apple brags that there's over a billion iOS devices in use now around the world. Compare that to the amount of active Mac users, the Mac users are minuscule. Even compared still to Windows PC as opposed to Mac, Mac is a much smaller segment. And so while there are malware and nefarious attackers that will target the Mac, it's just not as profitable because the user base is small. So Apple is arguing because the iPhone is such a larger user base, billion users, that hackers will be motivated, it will spur them on to start focusing on the iPhone and build those attacks for that. And one other quote, and William, I'd love to get your thoughts, it started talking about copycat apps. And this is where someone with nefarious intentions could make an app that looks just like a well-known app that you use today. Maybe it's a Facebook. And so they make their app look just like the Facebook app with the Facebook icon. And they can even make their mobile website look just like the app download screen on the App Store. And so if someone on their iPhone follows this link to this website from a nefarious hacker or whatever, they think they could be downloading the actual Facebook app from the App Store because it functions just like how it looks. And it could trick people, fool people. And again, you have to think about the wide range of users of these devices. And there's a large segment that might be confused by something like this and download thinking it's from the App Store. And so those copycat apps could trick people into downloading it on their phone and that could be malware, it could viruses, whatever. And then even worse, trick people into giving up information like payment and credit card information or identity information. And that would, again, cause the problems, open up the entire iOS user base to these kinds of attacks. Yes. William, what do you think? That's exactly what would happen <laughs> all the way, no question right. uh, about it. I just, 
uh, I, you know, there have been other interviews around uh, the publication of this thing. Uh, in those Apple's uh, privacy people have not been saying, well, nobody buys a Mac, so it doesn't matter. They've been saying uh, the style, the, the lifestyle choice of Mac users is different. They tend to use a set number of apps and that's it, whereas iPhone users are cramming stuff on. But also iPhones have microphones and cameras and they're with you all the time, they're location tracking things. These are things that are gold to people that we don't want it to be gold to. So yeah, without doubt, that is what will happen if we go down this route. Yeah. But there's one other thing. When I hadn't thought about this till you said, you mentioned Twitter fights and also uh, this thing about some corporations forcing people. We think that Apple is supposedly preventing malware, but it does actually do some quality checking. I worked for a corporation in the UK which wanted to put out uh, an app. And because I was vaguely known to be interested in this stuff, they gave me a look at it. And I actually ended up standing up in a room, arguing at the top of my voice. There were nine, I remember really clearly, there were 19 reasons why this app should never be released. And the reason I remember it was 19 is because they had to go through Apple. They ignored me, put it through Apple, and Apple rejected it with 20 reasons why it shouldn't go out. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that was pretty close. Uh, so there was some quality thing in that cooperation. I'm big, very, very well known in the UK. It would have put this out and it was so bad for it. Uh, buggy, but mm. also just yeah. it would have damaged the company. And I, I had to use the version they did come out with yeah. in the end. And even that was was so bad. I, I used to delete it until they'd ask me a question and I'd reinstall it to check something. Go, yeah, yeah, that that's fine. And delete it again. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I have it on here all the time. William, let, let's be honest. Was the company you're talking about MI6? Are you 007? <laughs> I'm just checking. Okay. I know you're not at liberty to say. You can't even say if you were, so never mind. Forget I ever asked. Right. That's a rubbish interrogation. Let, asking the question, <laughs> then letting me off. Well, you know, I don't want to press <laughs> Didn't give a chance to answer. Oh, oh sorry. Right. Have you? Are you part of MI6, William? Have I, or at any time, have I ever been part of the security services? <laughs> I think you have that on the forms when you fly into the UK, don't you? William, you're not answering the question. <laughs> I yes know or no? I'm not answering the question. <laughs> okay. I want to look interesting. interesting. Come on. Give okay, me okay, that's fine. <laughs> One day we'll do a bonus episode uh, to our, our paid supporters, and, and then William will reveal if he was part of MI6. Deal. Oh, okay. He agreed. Okay, very good. I think I think the, 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 the most dangerous thing you can have is giving somebody a little bit of knowledge and a lot of power. So you look at what people can do with the Windows registry editor and a tutorial online saying, oh, do this to unlock whatever, and they go in and, you know, they do a, you know, whatever, a D deed value in there and then change it from a zero to a one yeah. and their system crashes and all that and they potentially open it up to security violations you know same thing with on the mac in a terminal you know like people go and do these terminal commands and they have no idea what the heck they're doing and they go and they do all this stuff you know you're opening pandora's box there and you have to realize the kind of of users that you're dealing with you know my mother uh, uh last month i got her a, a new bluetooth headphone thing that she can sleep with and it does like, you know, nice sounds of the ocean or whatever. Mm -hmm. You have to go and download their app. And so she went onto the app store, searched for the name of the app. But the number one result was not the actual app. It was an ad. And she doesn't know that she's not a power user. She doesn't know the difference. She's the person who searches on Google and clicks the first result that's there because they think it's actually the first result, not an ad. Right. So she downloaded a different app and she's like, it's not working. They're really. And I went and I looked and I was like, how did you get this? And then I opened up the app store and I realized, oh, she just tapped on the first thing that was there. 
So the good news is somebody like that who's that inexperienced, if they get a dialogue pop-up warning, they're probably not going to say yes to it. They'll probably be scared and go, oh, I don't want to do that. Right. But it's those people who have a little bit of knowledge and a lot of power who go, yeah, why not? Let's go for it. And then they're going to get viruses on their system. Then they're going to get things spying on them and all that. So yeah, I mean, it's a complicated issue. And I think Apple has a very valid point here. But also as a power user who has, you know, some common sense, it would it would be nice for me to be able to do things like install an emulator at my own risk and to be able to use those kind of applications because I want. Well, there was one other part of the white paper that I want to talk about. Let's take one more break and thank our sponsor, Air Med Care. So this episode is brought to you by Air Med Care Network Fly You Home, which gives you the comfort of home when you need it most. And so if you are traveling, maybe you travel for business or pleasure around the U.S., a lot of times we don't think about, you know, what's going to happen if I get hurt or injured elsewhere? Where will I be brought? How does all the medical stuff work? Well, with Air Med Care Fly You Home, if you're hospitalized more than 150 nautical miles from home, Air Med Care Fly You Home will transport you to a hospital of your choice in one of their medically equipped private aircrafts by specially trained nurses and paramedics at no out-of-pocket cost to you. I'm talking like an airplane or helicopter. They'll take you to where you'd like to go. They've completed more than 18,000 missions and have over 30 years of experience helping their members. So you can expect industry-leading service that takes care of everything so you can focus on recovering. So for as little as $134 a year, a year, you and your entire household can enjoy peace of mind when traveling. And as an Apple Insider listener, you'll receive up to a $60 gift card when you join. So go to airmedcarenetwork.com and use the promo code APPLE, just the word APPLE, and that's airmedcarenetwork.com, promo code APPLE, when signing up to get up to a $60 gift card. And we'll put that link in show notes as well. Our thanks to Air Med Care Network Fly You Home for sponsoring this episode. Now, the final part of this white paper that made me think, because it hits close to home for my use case, is the parental controls and screen time. And one of the features that Apple brought up over and over again in this white paper is the ask to buy feature, which is something where if you have screen time and a family iCloud account set up and you've designated some of those iCloud accounts as a child account, you can say if this account wants to download an app, it must send a request to one of the parental guardians whether for in our family, it's me or my wife, and we have to approve for that download to start on their phone, whether it's a free or paid app. They, as the child account, have to ask to buy. And that's one of the things that if we open up or if Apple opens up iOS to sideloading, it would make it more difficult for users to rely on that ask to buy. Now, maybe Apple could figure out a system around this, like if a device or account is marked as a child that they couldn't de- sideload apps. But again, this is an argument that Apple is making against legislation because if it is legislated from the government to say that every Apple device, iOS or iPad device, iPhone, if they have to allow sideloading on those apps, I don't know. I mean, it's unknown whether or not the parental controls like ask to buy would be able to function the way it does now. And I will say for our family, this is a very important feature. I want to make sure that my kids can download anything without us knowing, but also that they can't download things from the web. And honestly, we have the Safari and web restrictions pretty locked down. So there's not really a lot of websites they could visit for that kind of stuff. But if it would mean breaking some of these parental and screen time controls by opening up to sideloading, this kind of really got me thinking of maybe I don't support this as much as I thought I did. I don't know, what do you guys think about this? I think number one, first and foremost for Apple's brand, if they were to do anything to allow sideloading, they need to make sure that things like this allow people to trust family members, their kids themselves using these devices. You know, 
one of the appeals of the App Store right now is like, you think about the process of uninstalling an application. On you got to open a thing and then do it, and even then folders are, are remain. It's like, oh my <laughs> yes. god! It's like I, control panel and uh, yeah. I mean, geez, really? And you go find remnants of stuff in there, and it's like it didn't even clean itself up. Yeah. And then on the Mac, it's very simple. It's all contained in a folder. You drag the folder over the trash and uninstall. And then on the iPhone, it's even easier. You hold down, you press X, and it's gone. And you don't have to worry about it. Right. Uh, that right. kind of ease of use and trust in the experience. I installed this app, didn't like it. Now it's not going to get my information. Anymore. If that starts to go out to the window, then that does severely hurt Apple's business model. So, you know, that's a great point, you know, for screen time and these sorts of things. These are features that have to work. Right. So if Apple's going to find a way, you know, if they were forced to, which would be very unfortunate, but if they were forced to find a way to make this work, yeah. It would probably take a long time. This is not something that would be very simple. It's not as simple as just flipping. But. Right. So so let me ask both of you this. Previously, I was really thinking sideloading is something that I would like, at least on the iPad. And Neil, you had said before, what would be the purpose? Sideloading would also allow developers to access APIs that Apple doesn't already open up to developers through the App Store. So for instance, Audio Hijack, I've talked about that app before. It's what I used to record podcasts on the Mac. Audio Hijack uses some things behind the scenes to access all the audio devices on a Mac. That is not something that they could do if they were in the App Store because Apple would reject them for using private APIs that Apple has not built in and approved. And so previously, my thinking was, well, maybe if we would allow sideloading apps on something like the iPad, that developers could make apps that access more of the hardware, maybe Rogue Amoeba could build Audio Hijack for iPad. And we don't have to wait for Apple to allow for audio input output control on the device, we could just, you know, get the app from Audio Hijack or whatever. That maybe that could be a benefit. But after honestly, like this is not kind of fan service. This is not because, you know, um in Apple's definitely not paying us for sure. I can <laughs> I can guarantee you that. But I do feel like after reading I this, well, yeah, after reading this white paper, I do feel like my meter as far as should Apple allow sideloading or not has moved a little bit to the maybe not side. Maybe I do value the security, the parental controls, the I don't have to worry about if there's some folder on my iPhone that after I deleted an app that it left some stuff behind because it's doing stuff in the background, that that peace of mind, that security, not just for me who is a pro user and I would trust myself to identify whether a developer is good and I can download from a website and it's trustworthy, that I don't have to worry about family members and friends also being that savvy and not, you know, not worrying about downloading malware or anything like that. And I think my needle moved a little bit closer to the let's not allow sideloading apps. William, what do you think? Where, where's your needle on the should or shouldn't they allow it? I have one hesitation, which is that whenever somebody says it's for the children, I think, yeah, <laughs> you're trying to play something. It's like um, yeah. the first person to say it's for American values wins or something like that. Uh, I am on alert when people do that. But actually, I am fully in favor of no sideloading. Yeah. My, my use case is I use these tools to achieve things. I don't want something that stops me being able to do that because it might let me play with something nice later. Right. Let it do the job it is. And if I want to do something else, yeah, I mean, I hate saying it, but yeah, go to Android if you want. If your enjoyment right. is in playing with the technology, then that's one thing. If your enjoyment is, you know, I'm a writer who wants to write, right. I'm, I'm actually very my needle is way way over on apple's side yeah on this and i'm slightly wary saying that but no no i i think i agree and, and like to your point if someone wants to tinker you know you can still try and jailbreak your iphone 
now. You know, I think it has become harder and harder over the years. I remember with the iPhone 4, there was some exploit where somebody was able to like have you just go to a link in Safari and your iPhone would be jailbroken, you know, and then you could <laughs> download the the Cydia app store or whatever it was. But Android is a whole world open to you. And like, if you really just want to tinker or whatever, no one's stopping you from having an iPhone and an Android phone and you can mess around with that and root it and put in all your customizations. So I'm I'm kind of in favor of what you said, William. I have an, I have an Android gaming device right here with me. This is something that I use to play games. There you go. It allows me to, so I've got it, you know, uh, rooted. I, uh, I use it to uh, games from the cloud um, and stream stuff that I can't do with Windows, and I have ROMs loaded on there, and it works great. Um, I also have a... Uh, oh, I got another one here. I have an Android-based e-reader, so it allows me to install full apps on it. Oh. And I can... I can. But what, what I use it for a lot is, in, in addition to books and whatever, is uh, I'll do uh, uh, read it later pocket. I'll save something that I want to read later and be not distracted. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I have a nice little device here that I can use, and it's more dynamic than a Kindle. I'm not locked into the Amazon ecosystem. So I'm not anti-Android, and I actually right. like, you know, hacking stuff. I've done it my whole life. You know, it's just kind of the way I am with computers. I want to take them apart and play with them. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, personally, I would love it if Apple found a way to open it up and do it in a way that was safe um, and make sure that you don't have, you know, users who don't know what they're doing going in and breaking things and spreading viruses and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I, I get it. You know, it's, it's a core part of their business model. But I also realize that the paper they wrote was written with an agenda in mind. And so you have to read it with that in mind. You know, sure. they're going to present it in the most negative light that they possibly can. And the truth, as usual, is a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll put links to the white paper and our article in show notes. Listeners, let us know what you think. I'd love for you to tweet at us. You think sideloading, yay or nay? Do you want it? Do you hope that the government legislates it? I'd love to know. Tweet at us. All those links are in show notes. And let me take one more break before we talk about Twitter beef. <laughs> we'll end on, the, on that. But our final sponsor today is the Nevia by Moen Spa Shower. You've heard me talk about them before. And honestly, we have actually moved to like a temporary living situation. We're building a new house. And let me tell you, I brought that Nebia by Moen Spa Shower with us and my entire family is using it because we do. We love it. And if you don't know, Nebia started in Mexico City where water shortages were a problem. And they want to develop a product that just gave you a great shower experience, but also saved water. And it was actually developed by Tesla, Apple, and NASA engineers. And none other than Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, was one of the first investors. And so I know changing out your shower head might seem a little daunting, but and it's something I had never done before. But the instructions that Nebia gives you, they give you all the parts, the manual, and all the illustrations. It makes it super easy. I was able to do it in just about 15 minutes. And honestly, my entire family loves the Nebia by Moen Spa Shower experience. We got one with the wand. It's like this little attachment. It sticks onto this little magnetic dome in your shower. It's really cool. And I love that it's height adjustable. So my kids can put it on one height. My wife and I put it on another height. And when you turn it on, it atomizes the water. That's the fancy word for it. But it basically envelops you with water. It's got great thermal comfort. I got that term from them. And its rinsability is high. But overall, it's just an awesome shower experience. It starts at just $199. It's their most affordable shower yet. And you're saving 45% of water as compared to normal shower heads. You can get it in multiple finishes. I got the brush nickel finish. It's fingerprint resistant, looks great in my shower. And they also have a bunch of accessories like a shower shelf to hang your stuff. And they also have little towel hooks and they all match. You can get them all in the same finish. It's really cool. You can get 15% off Nebia products right now because you're a listener of the Apple Insider podcast. And again, Nebia has partnered with us for a long time. They don't normally do sales, but they've partnered with us and you can get 15% off their products if you go to nebia.com slash Apple Insider. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash Apple Insider. Take a look around. 
and then use the coupon code AppleInsider, all one word, when checking out for that 15% off. And that's nebia.com slash AppleInsider. Our thanks to Nebia for sponsoring this episode. And before we get to the Twitter beef, I did want to put this in here. We had an article about Patreon and the App Store cut because the Patreon CEO actually went on the Verge podcast Decoder with Neelai Patel. It was a really interesting show, actually. And I'll put a link to the podcast in the show notes if you want to listen to it. The CEO of Patreon had a lot of thoughts about creators and how the platforms that creators use, like Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, a lot of times it's building an audience for that platform and not necessarily for them as a creator. And so I I thought that was all very interesting. But one of the things that was mentioned in the show is that the Patreon app on the iPhone, you can actually sign up to support a creator through the Patreon app. And for some reason, Apple is not taking the 30% cut from that transaction if it's done in the Patreon app. Now, the Patreon CEO said most people, they didn't give a percentage, but most people who support creators through Patreon will do it through the web. They'll either go to the website, patreon.com slash whatever, or mobile Safari on their iPhone. And that's how they'll support creators there. But I thought it was interesting that this is a digital good where I guess maybe that's the argument is that this is not a digital good because that's the this terminology that Apple uses for that cut. Maybe it's because it's a direct support thing, but it also goes to that maybe Apple doesn't have as much of an airtight argument because it does kind of not play favorites, but it doesn't seem consistent across the board. So I don't know if you guys saw this or, or had any thoughts on that, but I thought it was interesting. I still don't fully understand the rules there because like Amazon doesn't get cut taken for buying stuff from them and they sell digital stuff because they sell physical they goods. sell digital goods too well but i think for like an audio like an audible book like if you try to look up for an audiobook in the amazon app they'll kick you over to the web in mobile safari like i don't think you can buy the audible book okay again this is one of those weird distinctions but isn't it uh, there's an argument maybe of kind of unformed thought here but with patreon you're not buying a podcast or a product right. you are supporting the creator so it's almost like a charitable donation that happens to get you uh, a tangible result is that right. i mean it's just like post-rationalization well maybe somebody at apple just forgot you know <laughs> but that's what neil patel on the podcast was like are you afraid apple's going to hear this show and then like start charging you the 30 percent cut <laughs> but i will say i actually did helped with an app development for a non-profit in one of the app updates there was a, a link that opened the non-profit website within the app and because it loaded the website within the app you could get to a give button to donate and because of that, Apple rejected the app from the App Store because they said this is a third-party payment system for donations that you can access within the app, and that's against our rules, and they rejected it. So again, it's one of those weird things where like their, term, their terms of service or agreements, like they say one thing, but sometimes there's these apps and services that slip through the cracks. So right, well, that's it. It's a little Open weird. it up, kill the App Store. It's over. No, no. Pile no. in. I'm <laughs> William doesn't mean that. The tie... Oh, no, you're not wearing a tie. I was going to say the tie is, is cutting off circulation, but <laughs> you're not wearing a tie. So just kidding. You're just in the suit. All right. Well, before we close, I do want to get to the, this last thing. And this is more... I, I need you guys, William and Neil, and listeners. You, you tell me if I was off on this, because I, I guess I started Twitter beef inadvertently. I, I didn't mean to. But this was a tweet by MKBHD. He's huge YouTuber, as you know. He tweeted, and he has other tweets in the past like this, but he said, it's wild how there's rumors and articles for literally everything now. Report, next iPhone to be called iPhone 13. Report, rumors suggest iPhone 13 to come in a cardboard box. Report, iPhone 13, event might be in the afternoon instead of the morning. Stay tuned for more. So poking fun at the rumor and leak community. And so, as I do, 
I, I responded, and maybe maybe I should have just kept quiet. But professional troll Stephen Robles. I, I was not trying to be, but I said, yeah, I can't believe someone would use iPhone 13 in a headline or talk about unreleased products just for clicks. And I put two screenshots of MKBHD videos on his YouTube channel <laughs> where he uses iPhone 13 in the title to say the portless iPhone 13. Let's talk iPhone 13 confirmed. And then, and here's here's where the I guess the beef comes in. But he actually replied to my tweet. He said, I, I re- I'm really hoping you're not taking this too seriously. Ah, uh, yes. So YouTube, the land where every every video comes with a screenshot of somebody like this, ooh, you know, in it, like to get you to click like, re- yeah, they're really the integrity on YouTube is a, is a really great place. For <coughs> that well, so stones and glass houses, you know, I mean, come on, that's just ridiculous. And, and we have videos on YouTube, Apple Insider's channel, Andrew and I make videos for YouTube. And so uh, let me just say this. I was also half joking. I also right after he replied to me, I replied to him and said, Come on the show. Let's talk. I would love to talk about this. Honestly, he won't. No, no, I know. And he's he's a very busy guy. You know, he he has like that YouTube originals. I, I get it. But my thing is, when you make a cavalier statement like that, the term that I thought of, like in comedy, is called punching up yeah. or punching down. And when it comes to comedy, if you don't know the term, you know the reason why every late night talk show host can make fun of the president in every monologue is because that's punching up. You as the comedian or the person making the joke is punching up to someone who has more influence, more power, more of an audience, whatever you want to call it. They're punching up. And the inverse of that is usually looked down upon to punch down to someone who does not have the same influence or audience or whatever, that it's just not as favorable or whatever. Like it's kind of distasteful. And so when you look at someone like MKBHD, who has whatever, 5 million Twitter followers, he's got millions and millions of YouTube subscribers. And it felt like he was kind of dismissing the rumors and leaks industry the or the the area of the industry and it's something that he kind of dips into and that's why i tweeted these screenshots of his videos like he dips into this world seemingly when it suits him to talk about the iphone 13 or talk about rumors and leaks but then to also kind of put on blast the entire community of like mac rumors nine to five mac apple insider imore all these websites that cover leaks as a, a big thing that we do it just felt uh patronizing or it felt condescending and that's actually what i told him in my reply and so i wasn't trying to cause like a huge beef But it did feel like he's had other comments like this in the past, other tweets to this effect, kind of making fun of the rumor community. And so that that was just my thought about it. I don't know. You, you guys tell me. Am I off base? Am I crazy here? No, you're fine. It, uh, like I said, stones yeah. and glass houses are fine. <laughs> William, William is not no, as convinced. Um, yeah, we have a small problem here because what I take away from this, the real lesson is you've only got Neil and me on because you couldn't get him. That's fine. Okay. No, 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 no. no, It's all right. Goodbye. I just want to know. He's a big boy. He can defend himself. He'll be all right. I also had a long thread saying like, you know, rumors and leaks, A, can be enjoyable for a segment of people like sports analysis, pregame, postgame. Like there's a, a correlation to that. But also when I have family and friends that ask me about buying decisions, I actually use rumors and leaks to advise them. Like take the iPhone 13 leaks that we talked about in this episode, for example. Doesn't look like there's huge updates maybe promotion, camera thing, rearrange. And of course, Apple could surprise us when they announce it. But if a family or friend member says, is it a good time to upgrade to the iPhone 12? Because we kind of have some idea of some of the rumors and leaks out there, I would say, you know what? The iPhone 12 is a great phone. You're probably not going to be missing out when the new phone comes out in September. So if you need one, now's a great time to upgrade. And just even if I don't share the leaks and rumors to other people, me having that information, I feel like at least helps inform me to help inform others. And so while yes, it's very like, this may or may not happen. It's very like nebulous leaks and rumors. I feel like there is actually some value to it. And so that was my, my that was my only defense. No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. My own uh, issue, I won't name the YouTuber, but I wrote an editorial uh, a couple weeks ago 
he he took a screenshot of the headline rather than link to the article, which is like an internet thumb in the eye. I'm not going to send any links your way because whatever I disagree with you. Uh, and he wrote uh, articles like this are such trash with the trash can. I too was underwhelmed by iPad OS, but the spoiled tech narrative isn't the majority of normal humans. There's a ton you can do on iPad, stuff that works better than Mac. And if you can't see M1 being a logistical move for the future, I don't know what to say. You know, I mean, whatever. I don't care that somebody disagrees with my editorial. I don't even care that he didn't link to me. It doesn't bother me. Sure. But this whole spoiled tech narrative isn't the majority of normal humans. Now, let me take you back five years because I'm not going to name this guy. But this guy, four or five years ago, when the iMac Pro was coming out, $5,000 computer, Apple decided for some reason to not send review units to publications like ours. They sent them to YouTubers. And that was like the first time they'd ever done anything like that. And this person got a five-plus-thousand-dollar professional-grade desktop from Apple and used this opportunity to, with an exclusive, with a computer that nobody else in the world had, got a, a table that raises and lowers, set it up outside somewhere, and shot and said, I've got an iMac Pro, but check out this new table I've got. This is a sweet table. And went on for like 15 minutes about a table. And it's like, You've got a $5,000 computer sitting on top of this tape. And I talked about it on this podcast at the time, and somebody tweeted him and said, oh, they, they said something about you at Apple Insider. So apparently there's some issue there, something, some sort of Twitter beef that I didn't even respond to this guy. I don't have time to get into it. But it's like, don't get on your soapbox and lecture me on spoiled tech narratives when you've got a free $5,000 computer yeah, yeah. and use it to talk, to talk about a tape. Tell me about the computer, because I'm very interested in this computer. Sure, very sure, few people sure. can afford, and nobody in the world has their hands on, because right. it, you know, it's brand new. It hasn't even been released yet. Right. So it's, it's very much the same thing with, with uh, Marquez and the, and, the, uh, uh, and the conversation you had there, where it's like, listen, you're allowed to disagree, but don't act like you're above. Yeah. You know, we're all in this game together, and this idea that like you can't talk about iPhone 13 rumors when clearly these people on YouTube are doing it because that's what their viewers are interested in. they got to make money, too. That's fine. You know, just don't come at me. I'm not I'm not, you know, trying to start a fight there. Right. And because in the past, he has actually called out publications like there was a a Forbes article where they were like iPhone 13, something, something confirmed. And this is Forbes. Like this is a huge organization. Well, but Forbes lets anybody contribute. That's part of the problem, too. Well, but I mean, it's tweeted and it just like you don't see the contributor. You just see Forbes with the Twitter verified checkmark. And it's like, oh, this is a Forbes article. And Marquez actually like quote tweeted the article and said, I don't think you're using that word like you think you are, like confirmed. Right. And it was funny, but it was also calling out a major organization like Forbes with, like, if you say this is confirmed, like, you need to be able to back that up. And so in in my, back to my analogy of punching up, like, I feel like that is an example of keeping these huge organizations, like, accountable. Like, because there is another whole area of the business world that doesn't read Apple Insider, Mac Rumors, and 9 to 5, they read the Wall Street Journal, and they read the New York Times, and they read Forbes and Reuters. And when when things like that, organizations like that, put out an article about iPhone 13 feature as something confirmed, like, I feel like that is a... A journalistic misstep. Of course, yeah. On their part. Like, yeah. like, you know, they, they should not be so confident in their head. Yeah, it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible. And like for someone like Marquez to call them out, I get it. And, you know, if someone feels like there's so many leaks and rumors about the iPhone 13, it's getting ridiculous. You can feel that way. Like, obviously. And a lot of times it can feel that way. It's like, all right, well, let's just wait till the actual phone comes out before we, you know, talk about any more leaks and rumors. Like Apple's literally going to tell us in three months. Let's just wait. And you can feel like that too. You know, if you want to ignore the, the articles or whatever, that's fine too. But when you make a blanket statement, not calling out a particular organization, not like referencing a certain article, when you just say like, ah, oh, rumors and leaks are getting ridiculous, 
in my mind, that's immediately referring to the entire area of the industry, like Apple sure. Insider, nine yeah. to five, I'm more Mac rumors and such. And it felt a little bit like punching down. Yes, he was joking. I totally get it. You could say that I was kind of half joking when I <laughs> tweeted the pictures of his thumbnails. Yeah. But it just felt like someone of his influence and stature can affect a wide audience to start thinking of certain sites less. And when you have that much influence and power, like the Spider-Man quote goes, with great power comes great responsibility, I guess is what I'm saying. So that was my only thing. Marquez, I know you're not listening, but <laughs> if for some reason this clip gets to you, yeah. I would literally love to have you on the show just to get your idea, you know, because you, again, Marquez reports on leaks and rumors, and I would love to get his thought about it. And Yeah, and I, his, he does a great job in his videos. I really enjoy his videos. Oh, my God. I mean, and I'll be totally honest. Like, his is one of the first videos I watch whenever a product comes out. Whenever all the YouTube vi- reviews drop, I watch his. I, I would watch a table review if he did it. If he wanted to review a table, that would be great. Let's see it. Absolutely. I mean, he is an incredible creator and, like, yes, filmer. Absolutely. Like, he has built an amazing empire. Like, kudos to him. Like, he does the work. Uh, but I would I would love to talk to him and and just to see what he thinks about you know this whole community. So anyway, Marquez, <laughs> I'm on the show. Love to have you. Uh, but anyway, well that's it, listeners. Let me know what you thought about anything we talked about today. You can tweet at myself, Neil or William. All those links are in show notes. Also, the articles and everything we referred to is down below. Don't forget you can support the show on Apple Podcasts for five dollars a month and get an ad free version of the show and early access. Or you can support the show on Patreon, Patreon.com/AppleInsider. You get the ad free show and early access there. As well, if you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And as always, check out HomeKit Insider. That comes out every Monday, where Andrew O'Hara and myself talk about smart home and HomeKit devices and Apple Insider daily. You can get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes every weekday. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.